Thanks for listening to the CISO Diaries podcast. We're Leah. And I'm Sia. And we started this podcast with the intent to give CISOs and cybersecurity professionals a place to be their authentic selves. These are the unedited stories told of how they got into cybersecurity, their real struggles that they persevered through, their personal anecdotes that make them tick, and the leadership advice based on their own experiences. And we want to especially spotlight those that are contributing and giving back to the community apart from their day jobs. This podcast is for everyone, especially if you're a leader or someone aspiring to leadership. Who knows? You may find yourself working with these awesome leaders. So join us on your favorite podcast player. And please don't forget to subscribe, follow, like, and comment and engage in the conversation. And now let's get to know our CISO on our latest diary entry. Oh, yeah. Good afternoon, good evening, and good morning, and welcome to our show today. I'm Leah McLean here with my co-host, Sia Yasa-Tornat. A quick shout out to our sponsor, Cyber Future Foundation, a nonprofit of executive leaders who are focused on taking action across a number of cyber initiatives for a more safer and trusted world. And we are very happy to be here today with Diana Kelly. Diana, how are you surviving with the uh, Henry Storm? I'm hoping it's not too bad where you're at. Oh, thanks. Yeah, no, it's it's not too bad. I live in New Hampshire, and we got uh, quite a bit of rain. I'm I'm on the eastern part of New Hampshire, <laughs> so there's a, there's 12 miles of seacoast. So there's not that much to the to the east, but that's that's where I am. And we were we were very very lucky that we didn't get too too badly hit by the storm. Oh, good, good. And uh, we do for anyone out there that has been impacted. We hope everything's okay. And I do want to just do a special. Um, Shout out to our men and women in the military and veterans, because I know it's it's a bit of a tough time in the world. So that, um, you know, we're thinking of you all. Now, Diana, um, before we go on, I want to, for those who don't know who you are, I want to run through, and I had to write it down because it's a long list um, of a lot of just your accomplishments. But, you know, number one, you're a huge contributor uh, to the community. You volunteer, you're a keynote speaker, author, you're a former cybersecurity CTO from Microsoft, you're now CTO and founding partner at Security Curve, um, you're chief VCSO at Salt Cybersecurity, executive board member for women in cybersecurity, conference chair and advisory board member at Executive Women's Forum, cybersecurity advisor council member at CompTIA, program committee and previous speaker more than once at the RSA conference, Ethnics and Plagiarism Committee member, and the host for the Security Balancing Act on Bright Talk, and a mentor to many. So that is a long list, but how do and, you do and it the, all? And, that, <laughs> and that's the CISO Diary Show. Thank you very much for joining us, everyone. Have a wonderful <laughs> evening. Thank you. And stay safe out there. Goodness, Diana. Truly, how do you do it all? Because you, you know, you always show up and you're always positive and calm and, it, you know, Yes, share. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, so it, it's it always it, it takes a village, right? I mean, they all everything I do is is in partnership with other people at the RSA program committee, for example. They always partner you with someone who's a, who's a great person to work with. So you do that work together at the EWF for the the conference this year. I'm the chair, but they have an incredible conference committee of people working on. So it's always takes a village. And then the other thing is I'm a little bit OCD and super hyper organized. 
So that helps a lot too, to, you know, even to the point that I was when showing a friend of mine, my pantry, and she's like, that's enough, Martha Stewart, you know, like there's, because <laughs> it's, I actually have all the labels and everything. So, but being organized really does help when you've got a lot on your plate. No doubt. And also curious, you know, you came from a very big company, Microsoft, and now you have founded and started Security Curve. Two things. One, tell us a little bit about Security Curve. And then also, what's it been like taking that from huge corporation to starting your own business? Yeah, so I actually founded Security Curve back in 2003. So it's it's been a long time and it it's when I'm and I I, I own it with my I mean it's it's two of us. It's me and, and my partner Ed Moyle. And we we bring in other people, we do some bigger projects um, with others that we you know will partner partner with. But security curve is basically when I'm doing my own consulting and advisory, or when Ed's doing his own consulting and advisory, we call it security curve because that sounded like kind of less obnoxious than like Diana Kelly Inc. or Ed Moyle Inc. Yeah. Um, so it's just so it's, it's security curve is, is just the name we give to when we're doing our own um, advisory. And I really I do love it being back at, on the advisory side. Mm-hmm. I, I've been at big companies for eight years between IBM and, and Microsoft. And it's really nice now to be working with some smaller companies because IBM and Microsoft, I was talking to the largest companies in the world, governments. And um, you know now it's nice to, to balance myself out and, and be reminded of you know, what it's like to be in smaller and mid-sized companies and to help them. So I feel really very lucky to be able to see, see, you know, security through that lens now. Do you see the challenges between those large enterprises and like a mid-tier and SMB? Aren't the challenges somewhat similar, just a difference is a question of scale or is it vastly different? Well, you, you, you nailed it, right? It's a lot of it is scale because if you're a 50 person company, you may not be able to afford somebody full time to do security, but you also only have 50 people that you're, you're dealing with. And maybe you've got a hundred contractors, but it's still, it's a pretty limited number. So you have, may have lower resources, but you also have a, a lower coverage rate. When you get into the, and everybody's wearing a lot of hats. When you get to the really big companies, as things get scaled, the complications really grow exponentially. So you may have, if you're, you've got subs in different parts of the world, you've got legal requirements, regulatory um, needs based on the, the geo that that happens to be. And people, because there's so much to do, people can get really siloed and narrow in their focus. So it could be really rare at a big company to find somebody who gets everything that's going on across the organization. I mean, the CISO has got to have some kind of a view, but um, you know, each individual employee uh, in security may just have sort of a, 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 be focused on what's really important for them to be doing. Whereas in the smaller companies, you've got people that are looking across the organization. So I think that it really, it does, it comes to scale, it comes to size and there's not, there's not one's easier or better than the other. You know, some people might they think, oh, these big companies, they have all this money and it's so easy. Well, their complexity goes up. So that's where those extra resources are, are, are being uh, you know, leveraged. You know, many of us who have had the pleasure of uh, working with you, for you, or, um, you know, or, or in other capacities, do see you and amongst each other talk about that you are definitely a leader, number one. But you're a you're a, an amazing leader, um, and I think that en- encompasses so much beyond just you know um, what you know technically, but um, on other skill sets and just interacting with people and the soft skills. 
you know, how throughout your career, when you were, I guess, what, what were you ultimately striving for? Did you think you'd be come at some point in time a C- CTO, CISO? And then also, what is the, what kind of advice can you offer to others who are trying to become maybe either a better leader or go into leadership? Because it's not something so easy to teach. And I don't know that any of us have the magic. What, what is that? But, you know, I think good leaders demonstrate a lot to us. And curious to hear your input on that. Yeah, you know, I, I'd never really thought of myself as as someone to get ahead in in business. That was I came I come from a very academic family, uh, and not people who are who are business people. So I hadn't really thought of that as something as as I was going to climb the ladder or anything. Um, and as far as the leadership, I think that there's some natural. Uh, I've been called pushy, but I think some people just kind of want to to start go in and, and, and get things organized and, and bring people together. So th- when I was in college, I was uh, at the radio station. I, one of the reasons I wanted to go to Boston College was I loved the radio station and there needed to be a general manager of the radio station every year. And it was a student elected role. And the second year I was there, I decided to run for it. I was the first woman. It was, it was the eighties, everybody. I was the first woman. And it was like, could a woman run the radio station? Um, and I, I did. And I just absolutely loved it. And I actually learned some of my, one of the things I did that was a terrible leadership mistake was I pushed somebody to take a role on the board of directors of that radio station, another student. I pushed her to take a role that she wasn't ready for. And that taught me quite a bit about don't you have to really respect where people are just encouraging and saying you can do it. Sometimes that's just not the right thing for some people. They don't want to take on that that level of responsibility. So that's where I started learning about leadership. But it wasn't until years later when I was I was working at Dataware Technologies in Cambridge and I was starting to build out a team and I was looking at, at the vice presidents and somebody got promoted and like this a penny dropped. I was like almost 30 years old and the penny dropped. And I thought I could be a vice president someday. And it just seemed like so alien to me, but I started to realize that I had kind of been, been building toward that. So I think even if people don't necessarily go in, I probably would have gone up the ladder faster if I had tried. Um, But, you know, I think people, if you, if you haven't started to um, climb up or you don't think that you're not ready for it. Just think about what is natural to you. Like for me back at the radio station, it was, it was taking that, that leadership role. And then later in, in my career, when that, when the opportunity was there again, embracing that. So if, if, even if you didn't think that you are a leader, look at, at the kinds of things that you do and how you interact with people. And also leaders don't necessarily have to be managers. I was actually talking to somebody earlier, uh, no, last week, sorry, it was last week. Uh, it's Monday. Um, I, but, and they were asked, it was something about their career. And I just asked a couple of questions. And at the end of the exchange, this person said to me, thank you. You're such a great leader. And it wasn't that I had done any, you know, we think about a leader, somebody who has tons of people that report to them, but sometimes it's just about helping people find their strength in themselves and leading them to where the best, the best solution or the best choices for them at that moment. So I think that's the other thing for people to remember. You don't need to have a giant team to be a leader. Right. Oh, I, I cannot agree more. It's funny you should mention that I actually had another podcast talking about that earlier today of all things. We were talking about yeah. leadership and it's that leadership doesn't necessarily mean you have to have the title first off. And yeah. it's the ability to influence 
folks in a way, doesn't matter whether it's a team or a peer or whomever, to do a call to action that they will support you on. They themselves see the benefit and value from, and it, and it does well for them, right? Because we've seen leadership practices where it's not for the benefit of the team. It was maybe ego-driven, for example. and But it's still leadership. It's just not necessarily good leadership, if that makes sense. So have you experienced oh, yeah. a leader to you in your career that might have not been the best example? I'm, I'm all about the rah-rah, but I kind of want to get nitty-gritty here. Have you ever had a pushback and how did you overcome that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I've, I've definitely had um, narcissistic. I mean, I think you're exactly right. There are some some leaders that they want the title, they want the money, but they don't actually care about the people and, and, and bring the people forward, or they only see how their team does as a reflection of them. And with that kind of leader, you kind of figure out what's going to make them happy. I often try to, when I'm in a situation like that, be really supportive with the rest of the team, especially, you know, your, your peers, right? If you, if you're, if your leader, right? As a leader, your main job is to make sure that if they're negative, they're not getting down to your own team, but with your peers, try to be as supportive as possible. And kind of, I call it run between the acid raindrops. And when you can, uh, maybe find a different place to, to be in it. Right. In a, yeah. <laughs> well, do you have an example of that without naming names? Like how did, like, again, like, was it earlier on in your career that you, you've experienced it or is it even later on in your career? Uh, yeah, I don't want to get into no, too many no names. details, yeah. but, but I mean, the, the reality is that, that when you've got a very selfish leader, what they tend, what, what I've seen a selfish leader do is to use the team just to support themselves. So they'll drive the team, you know, exhaust the team, ask them to do things that just aren't aren't possible and get really angry when the team can't deliver for them because it's all about you know supporting you know, them and not about actually helping everyone to be better as an individual and as an employee and also to for the right because it's a system. We're always in a mm-hmm. system. And if you if you push any part of the system out of whack, then the whole system's gonna break. Right. Yeah. And I, I think too, you know, when you can when you can be have a present mindset, really understand what's going on and, and look around you and observe is when you can see examples of not so great leadership that actually help us when we can identify that to understand then what is a good leader and, and emulate those others that are doing the right thing um, and, and in the right approach or the approach that works to influence and guide. Um, question: Going back to something you said, because, you know, well, you're a female leader. And you are a, um, and that's awesome, by the way, congrats about being um, (laughs) first with the Boston Radio College as a female. But, you know, when you said some have called you pushy, do you think that that's because you're a female leader? I mean, I know we get stereotyped all the time as females and sometimes are called things that aren't actually true. But, and if there were a man who might be doing the same thing, they would, you know, not be called that. So I'm curious your thoughts around. I've heard it all. I've heard pushy, loud, opinionated. I've also heard the other side of she's too soft. She's too gentle. And I was speaking with somebody a couple of weeks ago and she described it really, really beautifully, I thought, which was that it, sometimes 
people can get put into this very, and I do think not to overgender it, but I think this does happen to women is it's like, we have this very narrow space of if we go to one side, we're loud and pushy and opinionated, right? If we go to the other side, eh, we're too weak and we're too squishy. And it's like, we just have this really <laughs> narrow like yeah. lane that we're allowed to be in before somebody starts telling us that, that we're, we're one or the other. And I mean, I have, I've, I've, I've heard it all in my life. Again, I've been told I've been both, I've been too harsh and not, mm-hmm. not strong enough. And I think you just ultimately have to, right. Who do you look at um, in the, the mirror every day? Who, you know, who do you have to be with when you go to sleep at night? Uh, so ultimately I just think about what's, what do I think is the right, is the right behavior? Was I being too pushy? Was I not? And sometimes just, kind of consider the source because a lot of people they're just they're projecting their own insecurities onto you yeah exactly oh it sounds like you have a high eq or something like what, what's going on here <laughs> <laughs> you know and i think that's part of it right is um i heard another uh leader mention uh give a recommendation for a book called the meditations and it was around the concept know thyself and how that's very important in not in only understanding ourselves, but being able to react, adapt, and perceive how we others could perceive us and um, how we perceive others. And so, I mean, yeah, all of those things and, you know, probably maybe to thinking about, well, there are going to be naysayers out there, but to some degree, we can't let all of that noise um, interfere with our goals and missions. Um, and I can see what, how you came from a um, background of, in your family from academia. You just be, again, all of the support and, and mentorship and help that you do give others. And I see that come through. But when you think about, you know, the, all the time you dedicate to work in your profession, what are some things that you do maybe outside of work or within, but that really help you to keep that, you know, calm center around you and, and keep, um, keep intact because it's not, it's not an easy job. Uh, and, and you have many of them, many hats that you wear and especially within cybersecurity. So at work, I always remember something that I learned years ago. I was walking, I, I used to live near, um, a, a reservoir and I didn't have parking in my apartment. So I had to park up the reservoir and I had had my cat in a cat carrier and I'm walking up the reservoir to get to get to my car and a few feet from my car, I start thinking, oh, my God, that's so is the sidewalk sparkly? That looks absolutely beautiful. Oh, and my cat was in the carrier because I was taking her to get fixed. So she was not, you know, she was a little scared and I knew it was going to be weird for her. So I'm walking up and I, and I see the sidewalk and I think that's so glittery. That's so beautiful. What is it? And then I got closer and it was somebody had punched in the window of my car and they had stolen my cassette deck, which... I was just out of college. And so I was, didn't have money. That was a prized possession. And yeah, my car now had, so I'm sitting there with my cat who's about to go get fixed. And it's very stressful for her already to be in this carrier and she was going to have a stressful experience. And I couldn't freak out because if I had freaked out, she would have freaked out. So I just brought myself way down got into the car, drove her to the, to the um, clinic and dropped her off at the clinic. And then I screamed and cried and got really upset. And I still kind of like use that when I'm speaking with people, I may be freaking out about something 
in my space and, and you know, I've got a deliverable due or, or I just found out that one of my, my customers has, this, they're, they're getting a surprise audit or something. And I know, but if I have a, a mentorship meeting or um, another, you know, a, you know I'm, I'm doing some, some, um, uh, some coaching, uh, not official coaching, because I know you did degree for that, but, you know, advisory, um, let me say, um, then I just, I, I just go back there. And I remember it's about the other person. You're, where you are at your point in time is not where they are. And that's why you're here to show up for them. So you can scream later, show up for them right now. And when I'm out of work, then what does, cause right, you do have to get into that script. What kind of keeps me chill and down is I just, I love dogs and I love being around my dogs. My dog, she knows when to just come and just kind of flop you know, her whole 60 pounds on me because I, I need her support. Um, and, you know, hiking with them, going out because they, they, they have their needs. You have to be out with them. So taking them out and, and just putting my mind into there's, there's something else out there. And I also have gotten really, really fascinated lately by the button learning. If you guys have you heard of this, I've not, not heard of it. What is it? Yeah. Okay. You got to, you got to check this out. So uh, what about bunny on Instagram? And this all got started by a woman named Christina hunger, who is a speech pathologist who does alternative forms of communication. And it occurred to her that dogs know they don't phonemes, right? You can say sit to a dog and it knows to, to sit, right? So you can teach dogs um, phonemes like that. So she said, well, what if I gave them a button and they could push the button and, and then the button says the word, and now could they start to communicate? And she, with her dog Stella and um, Alexis Divine, I think, is the woman with with Bunny. They've really just—it's fascinating. You can see how the dogs are talking, and, and we're starting to kind of get into like their mindset. And scientists are like watching Bunny. They've got a stream on Bunny all the time to watch her with her her buttons, and that that helps me too because just thinking about how are they thinking and what's going on with them that again helps to calm me down and reminds me that there's just so many uh, uh, there's so much else going on in life that um, you know getting worried about a, a deadline you know sometimes you just you'll get that deadline. You'll do it. Um, but remember so, there's a lot more. You're, you're like absolutely yeah. fascinating. Cause you're, you're triggering a couple things here that like all these words are popping up in my head. And so I'm a visual. So in my head, yeah. like all these words are just popping up everywhere. And so two major words kind of like struck me is you have a lot of self-awareness, I guess so, self-awareness being hyphen. And I consider that one word <laughs> 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 and empathy. Um, yeah. And, and the combination of those two, obviously you've carried yourself very well and obviously you're driving really great teams and obviously with your leadership with founding organization you've got great talent and you're maintaining that talent but my question is is where did that come from for you did you grow up with that is it something that you were raised in or did you find this out as you were an adult and kind of trial by error i suppose it's it's a little bit of of both. I think that there's some level of who you are that gets written very early and, and that's it. And then, then you kind of, as you get older, you're like, do I like that? Do I not like that? Do I have to solve for it? Or do I have to create like a, a wrapper around it? Um, so I think that, that there's some that's just, that's you know how I am. And I was very lucky because the, the neck, we lived in the same place for my whole childhood and my house, um, the house I grew up in abutted the yard of a neighboring house and 
the one of the children there who's a year younger than me, she was my best friend for my whole life. And I think that having somebody like that, she was just an amazing sister. I didn't actually have a sister, uh, but you know, she was was like a sister. And I think that that helped just having that closeness really, really helped a lot. Then as I got older, I started to just watch how how I was, how it impacted me and how it impacted others and started to learn about, you know, ways to, to, um, you know, sometimes you know, actions have consequences. So then being aware of what I do and how I do and how I say things, it's going to, it, it, it really impacts people. And that bottom line of the people say, don't, don't think about what somebody said to you or what you did with them. Think about how they made you feel. And starting to think about that and realizing how I was making other people feel that that helped a lot. Wow. You you make people feel wonderful though. I mean, I think I could go on and on just listening. It's, it's soothing actually. It is. You know, my mom, like, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. No, No, because even, I mean, coming into this, not because of uh, doing this with recording with you, but I have some stress right now I'm dealing with, but it's like that kind of just all faded away, just this conversation with you. And well, thank you for that, number one. But, um, you know, you also, you worked very closely with your um, significant other. And I don't think it's, it's definitely not uncommon that many of us have found um, love at work or, you know, met our spouses at work, but working with them, and that's not uncommon either, but any advice for those that may be about to do that or are doing it, but find it challenging because it, it, that takes a lot from each person, I think, to also work with each other. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm just blessed. I mean, who is it? I think that, that William H. Macy, they're always like, what's the, what's the, what's the key to the success of your marriage? And he's like, marry Felicity Huffman. Um, and I feel kind of like that. I mean, it's, it's, it's very much, I mean, Ed is so easy to work with. Somebody once said that we're two halves of the same brain. We built this house together. We didn't build it with our own hands. We, we had an architect and a builder, but we designed and, and picked, you know, at the, the finishings for the house. And there's a saying, uh, build a house, lose a spouse. And we're just really lucky. And I think that we disagreed on maybe one color in the entire, in the entire process. So he's just, he's an absolute delight. I am so lucky to know him and to work with him. And, and he, he he sticks to, he says he's going to get something done. He gets it done and it's always high quality. And I'm just, I'm just incredibly lucky, but yeah, I think that the key to, at least for me to working well with a partner (laughs) is to work with Ed Moyle. Wow. So are you saying you guys are like besties or something? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I love that. That is I mean, I, I it, it's rare. I don't know that, you know, I see it. I've seen it in um, with some, you can really see, see that. And then others, I mean, it takes a lot of work, but I, it back, I mean, going back to it, it's very apparent that you have this too. And I know that that um, played, I would imagine a big part of where you got to the day, but that is the biggest thing, self-awareness, empathy, those, those two things together. You know, a lot of folks, though, don't have that or it's not that they don't have it. They haven't practiced it. Right. And as they're in their career, whether early on or, or going through and realizing that they, you know, they might be told they need they need that or to um, hone in on those soft skills. What um, do you have any perspective on how can 
folks better grasp that side of themselves if you know that's something that's needed and looking at where they are within their you know job role and how they need to apply that is there there anything that you could share based on just your own experiences and having that yourself yeah i i I think that just remember that everybody is going through something stressful. You know, they've got a sick child or a a parent that's having a problem, or they just had a a fight with their spouse. Everybody's got their boss yelled at them. So we tend to think every interaction is about us. You you know, it's like, oh, that person didn't like me. Most of the time it's that they were dealing with something else. So if you can just stop and, and stop, it's, it's not that it's not about me. Sometimes I make this mistake all the time. I'm like, oh, they, they were mad at me. But I, then I, I catch myself. If you can stop and think about what's that other person going through and what does this mean for them and their context to remember that they've got all their own stuff going on and make it less about you, then I think that that really helps. It's, it's, it's not like it's easy. It's not like I'm a Zen master and like, I'm like, I just flip through every day perfectly that way. But I, I get, I stop and, and when I'm starting to make it more about me than it really is, it really helps to remember everybody's got something that they're going through. I mean, I do this a lot when I do public speaking. I get out there and I know I've got an audience of people that need to check their phone because they've got a whole bunch of stuff that's due at work and this and the other thing. And I try as a speaker to really zone in on that and understand that if I can just give them a little bit of, of a little entertainment, um, lay some knowledge down, then maybe that, and, and not even overburden them with too much stuff, then that's, that's going to be, you know, about it for them for that, for that moment. So I try not to, you know, cause I've, I've seen some speakers, they've really done slides and they go over their time. And, and I think you just stop and, and think about others. And we do make this, this, mistake, I think a lot of thinking that when people are are angry or upset that it's at you. And it's very often it's more at at what some people will project and dump it on you. But a lot of times people are just trying to get through the day. So if you can be there and help them, that's, that's a good thing. So I have a question for you. Um, Are you, are you guys hiring? (laughs) No, I mean, you know, honestly, like what you're saying is so, uh, uh, genuinely refreshing to hear, right? And mm-hmm. as a business owner yourself and founder of a company, it sounds like to me you're building a really good, solid culture as well, right? And and for entrepreneurs as well, it's hard to build culture, but it feels like yours is just intrinsically interwoven into your organization. Was that a conscious decision? Or you just kind of, that's how you are and that's what you be and that's what you do. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's, I've noticed this at all the companies I've worked for is that whatever the the tone of the people at the top of the company, that tends to be what you get at the rest of the organization. So I think that that's just something that that happens, you know, when you've got a certain mindset with the people who are who are setting the the pace at the company, then it becomes it's nice when it becomes in the whole, um, you know, becomes the DNA of the organization. And I've seen this happen really well, like I, I use this example a ton, but IBM security, the tone at the top was very much we were all responsible for security. And that that group, we were the most security where we were the first responders um, whenever anything happened, because that's just really it was it was embedded in us. So it's really great when you see that the, that kind of it, it doesn't get performative. 
it really becomes part of the the culture. And I love when when good when good good habits happen at a company. I love it. I mean, it's rare to hear that, especially from a major org. Like, and by the way, IBM of all things that that you should even say that that cracks me up because IBM does have a reputation for being a little, you know. I know, I know. But, you know, I mean, it's the companies change. Like when I was at IBM, um, one of the people I worked for, you know, his sleeve came up at at his cuff on his his shirt and I could see he had a tattoo sleeve. And I said, is that both arms? And he's like, yeah. And I was like, oh, okay. And, you know, I'm like, IBM just kind of, it's as long as he was covered up when he went into the the customer meeting, because it was fine. Yeah. Can I, can I tell you a story? I, I have to, and I know we're running long on time, Lee, but I got to. So I've got a buddy and I can't go into massive detail because you'll know exactly who he is based on, if I say it, a descriptor, but he was an executive at a company that I used to work at. And I don't know what the heck he was thinking. Brilliant gentleman, don't get me wrong, but he decided to get that face tattoo um, with his friends. Oh, like- um, like, oh, uh, the, uh, the, the hangover, hangover, tattoo. <laughs> hangover one. And I'm not going to say anything other than I don't think he understood that henna is semi-permanent, oh, right? right? Like, you know, yes. and so he thought it was like an ink thing. You just put it on and then you can wipe it off later on. And they let him do it, his buddies. And I'm like, oh my gosh, he it gets back to work. Wear off. And then he got, he got told he had to fly to New York for a very important meeting or I don't know where LA, I don't know where it was. It was just a big meeting. And he's like, uh, I can't. And uh, so he's like, you know what? I could either just, you know, it was one of those big meetings he had to go to. So he just showed up and owned it. And just a look on everyone's faces like he wants it. And he goes, yeah. And this is how serious we are about our commitment to you. And he's like, <laughs> just cracked me up a little bit. Sorry. It was just one of those like uh, digress stories. But but what you said is actually uh, it just resonated with me. That story. Yeah. Yeah, authenticity or trying to be your real self. I mean, yeah, but also the relaxness of it. I mean, we work for a multi billion dollar company, and he's like, I'm going to show up with a face tattoo. Let's own it. And I believe they won the deal because he was like, I don't have to be the stiff corporate, you know, employee, if you will. So that's kind of what I was getting at. But well, sometimes I think though, the the becoming vulnerable, even. It, no matter where you're at within your career journey or level, um, I think that can help. And and it took me a long time to realize that. Of course, I similar Diana had you know folks around me saying, "No, you're too this, you're too that. You can't be this, can't be that." And I probably listened in the wrong areas, but not in the other areas. And then learned lessons. But and I say coming from California to Texas actually and folks around me and friends I had made or had that are still in my life a lot of that taught me to be a little bit more vulnerable and real which has actually helped in the business sense and I didn't think that was ever possible just something I learned and and I know that in all of your journey that's probably been part of you too it's true I mean we're all human beings right we want to connect and so yeah somebody's like was out on a crazy night and thought they had a temporary tattoo and it was semi-temporary, you know? Yeah. I think just showing up and, and owning that we, we get so scared about showing who we are. And, and I kind of like that there's this kind of trend. Like if you watch comedy shows, mm-hmm. there's this trend, like Nanette is this incredible show, Hannah Gatsby, just where she just talks about the downsides, what's going on. And it's still funny, but it's also really real or Bo Burnham's inside is another one where he's 
it has a breakdown at the end of this, but it's really funny too, because it's just about being honest. And I would like that we're bringing that more. I think and in, in business, we're seeing that with the some of the diversity movement and neurodiversity. I'm dyslexic. I never even told people I was dyslexic for years. I mean, it's not like I was like, I was a secret, but I just didn't, I was like, I, first of all, I didn't know it was considered a disability. Yeah. <laughs> and second, cause you know, it's like, it, it, it's, I can't read right. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I read just fine. It's just my brain. I kind of have to, to, to overcome it. You know, if I'm tired, I start to have to really work to, to read properly. Um, and, uh, but, you know, I just, ne- no one ever knew I was dyslexic until a couple of years ago, people started talking about it. And then I was like, oh, wait, I, I'm neurodiverse too. I'm dyslexic. And, and I, and now I am really happy to stand up because I've had some other people tell me they were told they wouldn't ever be able to succeed because of their dyslexia. And I was, I was told I would never read at a normal level. I was an English major. I was summa cum laude English major from college. Like you can achieve as a dyslexic, trust me, you know? And so it's kind of nice that people are bringing that conversation and we're talking a little bit about who we are and not just getting it done. I I love that you shared that. Thank you very much. Cause I had no idea that you were dyslexic. And that's something again, that's that no one really like, it's not something you walk around the street going, Hey, are you dyslexic? Are you, you know what I mean? So thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, you, you touched on honesty a little bit and I, I, I want to ask about this because I think we're seeing more honesty in our industry and, and in cyber. Um, and obviously a lot of that plays into also the integrity of, I think the person and the team at the company. Um, do you, you know, do you think that we need, have you seen more of that over your course of career? And do you think there's a lot more that we have to do in that area um, with regards to, especially if you think about the CTO or the CISO in their position, and it's a hard position to be in, but where we can do better in those areas? Yeah, I think we're absolutely talking about it more in technology, which is great. Even if you look at the talks at, um, you know, RSA, the, the topic was the human element, I think last year or the year before the talks at RSA and Black Hat have started talking about what do you do when people are burning out? How do you keep, you know, there's been discussion about PTSD within the industry because of some of the things that we have to look at or deal with um, and just the level of stress that can occur. So I think it's a really positive um a positive change in the industry that we're starting to to just be more aware of this and more open about it. And I think the main thing with CISOs and CIOs is to find the people that you can have the honest discussions with. If your family isn't in technology, they may not be, they can hear you and they can be there and supportive for you, but they may not know some of the nuances of what you're going through. If you're a CISO or a CSO, you probably can't just go online and start to find your friends because what you're dealing with is incredibly sensitive data. So, um, you know, look for your CISO friends. I've seen CISOs, you know, they find their, their one or two friends that they can trust and they can have like this little circle of sharing because I think it is really important to be able to have someone who you can also just really just be open with and and talk about obviously not sharing secrets but somebody who gets what you're going through and has the discretion to be able to if you say uh we're dealing with a response right now they know what a a piece is they know what that's like so they can they can kind of um you know be there for you yeah you bring up a good point that that i don't know if everyone always thinks about but the higher you 
get within your position, um, sometimes it can be a lonely world or having that yeah. close knit that you can really rely on and trust because I don't know, do we ever get too old for having mentors? I don't think so. No. Yeah. No. And there's this beautiful thing that I just learned about in the last couple of years called reverse mentors. And that's where you find younger people who help you understand what they're going through at the, and, you know, to help you kind of train you on, um, you know, things that maybe you kind of aged out of that they're, they're living through and they can help. I mean, I had an amazing uh, reverse mentor when I first started get, going on social media who trained me on, you know, this is like how to make your LinkedIn profiles. And at first I was like, oh, I don't want to tweet. This is ridiculous. You know? Oh my gosh. I think you nailed that on the head too, because <laughs> we are shifting. The generations have made it very clear how quickly technology and social media has accelerated yeah. how we interact from a society and culture, cultural perspective. So can I ask you this as a, you know, quote, leader, hiring manager, whatever you want to call it. Um, are you seeing any trends or do you have any advisement based on your reverse mentor um, for those that are wanting to be in cybersecurity that want to take their cybersecurity career to the next level, if you will, into leadership? Do you have any advisement for those that are out there? Yeah, I, I would look around and think what kind of a leader that you want to be, because we need leaders in so many different areas of cybersecurity. We need them. You know, What kind of field do you want to be in? Do you like financial services? Do you like nonprofits, for example, like Cyber Future Foundation? Um, so what really gets you excited? Yeah. And then what gets you excited? And, and then which which role in cybersecurity? Because you guys you're podcasting and you're part of cybersecurity. There's somebody who's in a basement right now who's hunting a, a, a bad guy across a, a, a big global network. And that person is in cybersecurity. There are CISOs that are presenting to boards. What is it that you want to do in, in cyber? And then, then now look at the people that are in those roles. Reach out and talk to them. Ask them what their job is like. I've learned so much by just asking people. I For a while, I was really curious, what's a distinguished engineer? How do you get to be? I talked to a few distinguished engineers. And I'm like, that is really interesting. And I could assess, is that the right next career path for me or not? Um, so talk to the people that you talk to people in role that you want to be in. If there aren't anybody, is there's nobody at your company that you can talk to? Um, see if you can find somebody on LinkedIn. Most people are really friendly and will give you mm -hmm. Um, at, at least a time of day, you know, about half. So you probably have to go to like twice as many people as you need to, to find the people that are going to have that time, right. Um, to be able to, to speak with you. But most people are really very open. And when they have the time, we'll share with you what it's like to be in the job, what they did to get there that was, that worked and, and what didn't and any advice about, you know, if there are certificates, but I know some people that just run out and they're like, if I get an MBA, that's going to make me a manager or a leader. And that's, it's not quite, doesn't quite work that way for most people. Yeah. And, and I think for as much advice and that you do and mentor to help those get in, um, it's also important and sometimes lost or forgotten that there is such a community of support like yourself yeah. and others and the organizations that you mm -hmm. belong to that are um, helping those folks so that the leaders who are hiring managers trying to hire hopefully don't feel like that it's all on them, right, to to bring that talent in and groom them. But there's, there's a community that, that does yeah. help and do it. And like you said, there's a lot of nice people out there willing to help. Yeah. Um, 
I don't know. We could listen to you all day long. I just thank you so much for being a part of this podcast with us today and sharing such amazingness. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. This was so much fun. Yeah. It, it just, again, thank you for all the contributions and, and the giving that you do in the community. It's, it's, we need more of that and it's tremendous and yeah, it's, we recognize that. So thank you. Cause it is a, you know, you don't have to do that. And we realize that, but well, you. you don't have to do the diaries. <laughs> so thank you. <laughs> Well, so on that note, I mean, we could be gushing. I feel like we're now at that where we hit the adolescent level uh, portion of the diary. We're like, I have the biggest crush on so and so because Diana does everything for us and she's amazing and she's very giving and I want her to be my best friend forever. And we do want you to be our best friend, BFF forever. Thank you so much, um, Diana. Seriously, you're way cool. And um, you know, you are making the world a better place for everyone. And, you know, I wasn't kidding. If you're hiring, let me know. I'll gladly volunteer myself and work again. <laughs> cool. I'm kidding. No, uh, but in all full seriousness. So this was been a wonderful diary entry. And uh, Leah, do you think, shall we uh, wrap it up? Yes, yes. So again, Diana, thank you so much for being here with us today. We just hope to have you back as well and share new things that you're up to. And we're excited to keep following you on your journey. Excellent. And uh, I guess that will be the wrap up of another diary entry for the CISO Diaries. Mm -hmm.